Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. We're in this series through the New Testament book of James, and we come to the 11th part, the final part, and all God's people gave an exasperated amen. All right, so 11 weeks, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and it's been been rich, if if for no one else than for me, to, to drink deeply from this part of the Bible. So how does James actually end this letter? Is it a twist ending? Has James been dead the whole time, Sixth Sense style? Um, Was it all a dream? Uh, Is Soylent Green made of people? Uh, No, here's what James wants to leave this church with. He wants to leave our church with this, and it, it begins in James chapter five, verse 13. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Now, let's just stop because, um, James actually gave us the first of of six principles that we've kind of gleaned out of this last portion. And here's the first principle, okay? Meet everything in your life with prayer. Um, It should be the first thing we do no matter what's going on. If you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, pray. Uh, Whether it's good times or or challenging times, a, a hard season or an easy one, you should pray. Uh, The point is that we are to incorporate God into every aspect, every day, every moment of our life. And the way we do that is through prayer. You meet life with prayer. Uh, Think of it more like like an ongoing conversation, a, a continuing dialogue with the living God as you do life. Prayer isn't something we do under exceptional circumstances. It's meant to be the way we live. One of the great uh, classics of of Christian devotion uh, records the writings of a man named uh, Brother Lawrence. Just raise your hand if you've heard of Brother Lawrence before. Now we're going back a couple hundred years. He he was a, a cook in the 17th century. And the book is called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it's been this classic that has shaped Christian thinking for for a few centuries. And in it, he talks about how we are are to pursue just that, the presence of God. And so let me read his words. Brother Lawrence, we should fix ourselves firmly in the presence of God by conversing all the time with him. It is only necessary to realize that God is intimately present, to turn at every moment to him and to ask for help, recognize his will in all things doubtful, And to do well all that which we clearly see he requires of us, offering what we do to him before we do it and giving thanks for having done it afterward. And and he he calls this an unbroken communion. It's a great way to put it, unbroken communion, no gaps, no breaks from fellowship with God. 
But the point James is making is clear. You meet everything in your life with prayer. There's nothing in your life that should be prayerless. And with that in mind, uh, James gets real specific now about how that can play out. So let me keep reading. Verse 14. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. Okay, so James says, meet everything in life with prayer. For example, let's say you're sick. Meet it with prayer. And then James even kind of spells it out. And so the second principle related to prayer is this, that you can even pray for something like physical healing and receive it. Now, some of you, as I, as I read James' words, um, maybe you're visiting, maybe you come from a different faith tradition, but you winced a little bit. Maybe you were a little weirded out by what I read. Uh, you might be thinking, yeah, praying is one thing, but calling the elders, whoever they are, and, and then what? Sp- spray some WD-40 on my forehead? Uh, you know, uh, or, or most implausible of all, to pray and expect for physical healing? Like, come on, come on. Uh, I get it, but let's walk through it and, and try to um, de-weird it a little bit. First James says you can and should pray for anything and everything. Prayer should permeate our lives. And then he asks or adds that this includes when you are sick. It's good, it's appropriate to pray for healing. And the message here is that God is able, he's willing to respond to any and every prayer. Now, let me ask you, is that really so strange? If there is a God, and if we can pray to him, why wouldn't you pray for something as significant as healing? And and why should we be surprised that there can be, in fact, a healing response from God. I mean, prayer isn't just talking to yourself in your head. He's not my imaginary friend. I had an atheist ask me, like, how can you believe God exists when you've never seen him? And I'm like, well, I believe in Home Depot employees. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they're out there somewhere. We got some Home Depot employees here today. Listen, the creator, the sustainer of the universe is there. And he's on the receiving end of these prayers for our sickness. And so, if you are sick, and by the way, the Greek word used here for sick in the the original language, which, which James wrote... It, it carried several sort of nuanced meaning. Uh, it, severe physical sickness, yes, but also what we might call extreme, you know, spiritual difficulties, um, uh, emotional difficulties, what we would call in the 21st century, you know, mental, mental health issues. The, the common denominator is that there really is a need for divine intervention. And this is when you need God to show up and do what only God can do. So James says that the people are to go to prayer, ask the elders of your church. You know, in some church, the pastors are called elders and the elders are called pastors. And 
uh, or maybe bishops or priests or council members. The point being, regardless of what you call them, these are the people in the church who have been uh, approved, uh, delegated to have leadership and spiritual authority. They are shepherds, overseers within the church. It's kind of a, it's kind of a mysterious thing in the sense that God empowers the office or the role of elder and shepherd to sometimes be conduit of God's grace and, and healing. I also believe and that it's, it's, it's not something that is limited to kind of our secular governance models. Uh, and like, for example, like, like a Linda Robinson, for instance. Um, you know, she stepped off the elders board last year. I think she was close to having completed a, a full elder term. But if you know Linda, you, if you know the kind of pastoral care and wisdom she has and her desire to pray, like that kind of spiritual authority doesn't just vanish at the end of an arbitrary term. So, so later we're going to invite people who are current elders and former elders, people who could be elders to pray for us. All of them are people of prayer. And uh, I'm getting in the weeds here, but, but I'm, just to say that there is something both practical and deeply mysterious, even supernatural, about these steps that James lays out for us. So he says you should ask the elders, ask the pastor, ask maybe individuals who function pastorally in your life, um, maybe your small group leader, those with the spiritual gift of faith or healing, and, and ask them to pray. Does that mean you do not go to the doctor? No, it does not. It just means that you seek every available avenue of healing, uh, particularly in situations where there are limits to what the medical world can, can do for you. Um, because there's no limitations to, to the work of God. Then James gives this instruction to anoint the person with oil. And if you're new to this whole church thing, or maybe you come from another church tradition, you're like... What is up with that? Like, my head is oily enough. I don't, I don't need extra oil. In the ancient world, oil was actually a very well-known uh, medicine. And in that sense, this oil is illustrative of, of the healing work of the Holy Spirit in us. But more to the point, though, it is a tangible symbol of faith. In ancient times, you would anoint someone with oil to, to set them apart, to mark them for blessing or prayer. And so when I do it, I just take a little bit on my finger and sort of make a cross on someone's forehead and by faith just believe that there is power even within that symbolism. It's mysterious. I have found it to be incredibly meaningful, even effective. And then fourth, James says to then pray for their healing and ask God to step in and do what only God can do. And, and we trust that God will. Now, having said that, there's all kinds of ways that people can be healed. Someone can be healed physically. I believe God can heal us emotionally. Um, give us the gift of spiritual strength to get through a, a trying time. Um, the prayer of healing could be given by God working through science, doctors, professionals, nurses, medical breakthroughs from their gifts and abilities. Look, 
when I pray for you, I have no idea how God is going to respond or what kind of healing he might bring. God is sovereign. And, and, and that means God will do whatever he wants to do. It will always be good. Uh, I don't know why he does what he does. I know it will always be good. We've talked about this before. It doesn't always seem in the moment like it's good. Um, sometimes it may even seem like he hasn't heard us. And some of you are all like, really? Do you really believe God still heals people in 2023? That, there, that there's that kind of power in prayer? Do you really believe, Pastor, that this stuff still happens? Guys, I don't just believe it. Like, I have seen it. I could testify in a court about the, the things I've seen. I, I've seen God do it physically, emotionally, spiritually, in all kinds of ways. It's not always a direct, instantaneous physical healing. Um, those are rare, but God not only can do it, he does do it. And, and, but whatever he does, and however he does it, praying this way is, is part of the life that we have in Jesus. So, like, welcome to the adventure, folks. Welcome to the fun. When, when there are serious issues that arise in a person's life um, who are part of a church, and they ask for the elders to pray for them, ask for the congregation to pray for them, we absolutely do it. We do it in faith because of what James is telling us here. And it's not all that James wants to say about the dynamic of prayer, though. Um, so he, he adds these words. He says, and if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, here's another big prayer principle. You can receive forgiveness Sorry, you can pray for forgiveness and you can receive it. And by the way, you really are going to need it if you're going to experience the, the power of prayer. Um, doesn't it make sense to kind of take stock of your life that way if you're coming before God for healing or coming before God for anything? Like if you seek something from God, begin with confession. Not because you're trying to manipulate God or do some kind of quid pro quo. Uh, God's not looking for you to grovel before he answers. Your relationship with God is a personal one. And prayer is, is like the intimate conversation on which it's, it's um, not only built but maintained. So, so imagine <clears throat> hurting, offending assaulting a friend in a really unconscionable way and then the next day meeting them for coffee as if nothing ever happened like it would be crazy to assume that anything relational could go on without first addressing the elephant in the room right the wrong that has been done and I, I want to assure you all can be made right with God but not Everything is right between us and God. And it is through confession and prayer that we address what is wrong. So, so we're to pray regularly. We're to 
Ask for forgiveness, which he is generous to give. I don't know why God doesn't always heal. I don't know. I'll find out in heaven. But um, you can always go to the bank with this. God will always forgive when you seek his forgiveness. Always. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, I just want to stop here for a minute because there might be some questions coming up. Like, you might be wondering, why is this necessary? Uh, Weren't we forgiven of our sins when we first became Christians? Like, why do we need to continue to seek forgiveness? Um, Like, is our salvation dependent on continually seeking forgiveness? So I think it's important uh, not to confuse the sinful state in which we first come to Christ initially for salvation and the sin that we subsequently commit as Christ followers. Like Christians have experienced God's once and for all forgiveness through their belief and acceptance of the work done on the cross of Jesus. Let's call that positional forgiveness. You know, moving us from death to life. It's how God sees us. That does not need to be repeated. But there's a relational forgiveness. Um, It's called on us to have an ongoing life in Christ. Like, whereas positional forgiveness came from your standing before God, before this perfect and holy judge... Relational forgiveness is called for as we stand before God as our Father, as the one we want to have an ongoing relationship with. There's, there's a picture of this in the washing of, of the disciples' feet. You know, you're familiar with that scene? Um, it was a lesson primarily in servant leadership. None of the disciples wanted to wash each other's feet. They felt it was beneath them. And so Jesus takes the basin of water and he takes the towel and he washes the disciples' feet. But there's, there's one little part of the story that's sometimes skipped over. And it, it, it was more than just a serving illustration. It was a deeply theological one as well. So when Jesus got to one disciple, Peter, Peter didn't want his feet washed. He was, he was kind of horrified at the thought of Jesus doing this, not just to him, but to any of the disciples. But Jesus insisted. So let me read what happened and all that Jesus had to say. Here, here he says, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, just, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. So, so here's how one biblical commentator put this. Dirt on the feet symbolizes the daily surface contamination from sin that we experience as we walk through this life. It does not and cannot make us entirely dirty because we have been permanently cleansed from that. The positional purging of salvation needs no repetition, but the practical purging 
is needed every day because every day we fall short of God's perfect holiness. I don't need to remarry my wife every year. That commitment is, is a lifelong. But it seems almost daily we, we need to get our relationship right. So when Jesus said, unless I, ha- I wash you, you have no part with me, the spiritual cleansing that comes from seeking daily forgiveness is crucial for maintaining a part with Jesus, uh, abiding with Jesus, intimacy with Jesus. And, and this is more important than many of us realize, more important than, than, frankly, I often live out, not just as a part of a prayer life, but as part of having a prayer life with power, effectiveness, authority, anointing, because it's a life of confession that enables our prayers to reach God relationally unencumbered. Like, this is how the prophet Isaiah put it in his writings. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Unconfessed sin is a relational break and it becomes so severe, so pronounced, so entrenched that we're no longer in good stead with God. I don't, I don't know. Have you ever said this to a, a spouse or a coworker or, or a friend? It's sort of shorthand. Like, are we good, Scotty? You, are we good? Oh, okay. But, you know, I just, I, I'm just picking up on some vibes, and I'm not sure if you're offended over that last disagreement. So I just, are we, are we good? And sometimes if we actually ask God... And if we have the humility to hear, he might say, uh, no, we're not, we're not good. Like, oh, I still love you beyond your wildest dreams. Your salvation has been bought and paid for. You are my child, my son, my daughter, my heir. That's not going to change. But since you're asking, no, we're not good. You've ignored me. You're leading an inauthentic spirituality in this area of your life. You're deliberately sinning and justifying it. You're hurting other people, my children. So no, like right now, we're not good. And, and if you have any kind of meaningful relationship, um, you know that this stuff has to be addressed before you just kind of move on like everything is hunky-dory. Every now and then you'll meet someone who can't or won't do it. They are conflict avoidant. They can't say sorry. Remember Fonz? (laughs) That's a deep cut for those my age or older. Um, People who just have a, a trail of broken relationships behind them. And God won't let you sweep this stuff under the rug. Not with him. So this is how it's talked about in the Psalms. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. So, so James has taught us to meet everything in your life with prayer. And you can even pray for healing and receive it. You can pray for forgiveness and receive it. Now let's keep reading for what's next, because here's what James writes. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. What, a, what an amazing line. The intense, 
fervent, earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective and produces wonderful results. And it doesn't give us just one more principle, but it gives us two. And the first one is this. There's prayer, and then there's earnest prayer. What is earnest? Here's what the dictionary says. Serious and zealous in intention. Purpose or effort, showing depth and sincerity of feeling, having a purpose and being steadily and soberly eager in pursuing it. Now that sounds a lot different than, you know, bless this lunch as we munch on, wait, bless this bunch as we munch on our lunch or whatever, you know. Some translations interpret that word of earnest as intense intense prayer of a righteous person. So the idea is that behind this kind of prayer is great intentionality, zeal, follow through. The opposite of sort of half-hearted, mild, milquetoast, apathetic prayer. The more uh, earnest you pray, James seems to be implying the more you can expect results. It seems that God honors uh, the heart, the desire, the intention, the passion behind our prayers, which leads to the second of the two principles found in this single verse. Apparently, the power of prayer and the character of the person praying are, are somehow linked. Let me read it again. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The word um, righteous simply means someone who is right with God, walking with God, doing life with God. Brother Lawrence, practicing the presence of God. We good, God? Yeah, we good. Like, they are, they are people who are quick to confess their sins and seek forgiveness. The, now, you combine that with earnestness, intensity, passion. Man, all bets are off. And James then gives an example of what can happen. Elijah, he says, was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Now, um, the people who were listening to this letter would have known exactly what he was talking about. It's the story of Elijah found in the Old Testament about the kings of Israel. And God sends Elijah to be his representative to his people telling them to turn away from these false gods, these idols, because they, they would never come through for them. They had turned to Baal, who was supposedly the god of fertility and the lord of the rain. And uh, so to show how empty the worship of Baal was, Elijah prayed to the one true God um, for it not to rain. And then sort of let the people turned to God, uh, the God of Baal, to see if, if Baal could do anything. And surprise, surprise, Baal couldn't. Nothing happened. They went on like this for three and a half years. And after three and a half years, Elijah said, uh, y'all done messing around? Like, do you want me to pray again to the living God? And he prayed, and it rained. That, James said, is the power of God through the earnest prayer of a righteous man or woman. Someone who is living rightly with God. Someone who is chasing after God's heart. It's, it's not someone who is a super saint. 
James is clear. Um, Y'all catch how he introduced Elijah? James reminds us that he was someone just like us. Someone of the same nature, subject to the same emotions, wrestling with the same weaknesses. In other words, someone just like you, like me. But Elijah was right with God. He wasn't sin-free, but he was a person who followed these principles on prayer. Which brings us to James' final words, not just the final words of this section, but the final words of this entire letter. And it gives us one last prayer principle. And if, if you would, just let me read it from the message paraphrase of the Bible. Here's what it says. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Get after them. Get them back. And you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. What's the final principle here? You are to uphold a life of prayer in other people's lives. Do you see how this all flows together? Elijah was a human, as we are, and yet, and then scroll back through what James has said this week. Pray about everything and specifically remember that you can pray for healing. Uh, But when you go to God in prayer, be right before him. Confess your sins. He can forgive you. And then you can unleash God's power in your life. And then he adds these last lines. That if you know of anyone who has started living apart from healing. Apart from spiritual health and wholeness. Who are no longer confessing their sins but living in sin. Don't even think of writing them off. Go on mission. Uh, Go after them. Love them. Leave the 99. Chase after the one. Don't give up on them. Because James says, everything I've been telling you in this whole letter is about holding each other accountable, about living in a new kind of, of Jesus community, one of support and encouragement. So, so here at the end, after James has poured his heart out on how to have a faith that works, both individually and in community. He's delivered this stirring call to be above all else, people of prayer, living prayer-saturated and prayer-driven lives. I just feel like it's such a fitting way to end this series, to put some of this faith to work. Um, To not just believe it, but to step out in it, to step out in action, and even a bit of vulnerability, and allow God to actually minister to us the way that James has laid out, and the way James promised in community. Um, Jesus didn't promise to supernaturally minister through sacred buildings, he, he, he didn't promise to minister to us through sort of sacred furniture. He didn't promise to send his ministering spirit through, you know, religious iconography or institutions or rosary beads or even through holy books. He promised to send his ministering spirit through people, through people who are filled with the spirit of God. It, it wasn't that long ago 
when Kathy Clausen uh, was here. And we invited those who were sick to come in faith for healing. And many of you came. And, and we would like to extend that invitation again. So I'm going to invite uh, elders, former elders, people who could be elders. You've, uh, we've touched base this week. Most of all, people who have demonstrated faith in, in their prayer life. And they would like to anoint you with oil, pray for your healing. Um, teams, we have oil here at the front. Um, Going to be groups around in the solarium, maybe one at the back by that coffee station, maybe some over here by the cross. You don't just have to pray for your physical healing. Don't, don't let that limit you. Maybe you need prayer for your emotional healing. There's relational healing that needs to take place. Your financial healing, perhaps. He can do it. He can do it. But James says, we have not because we ask not. So let's ask today.